Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Man, I have so been looking forward to this series. Who else has been excited for how to still survive a horror movie? Um, I have been pumped for this series ever since we ended this series last year. <laughs> this, is, this is the sequel to How to Survive a Horror Movie that we did last October, um, and it, it was a huge hit. We had a lot of people who really enjoyed it, and as you know, big hits get sequels. So <laughs> we're doing a sequel to this series. Now, if you weren't with us last October, let me kind of give you uh, uh, the Cliff Notes version of what this series is about and what we're gonna be talking about. Um, most of us, the, the movie of our life, if we could pick a genre that we would want it to reflect, um, maybe, maybe we'd be like action adventure, right? Like you want, you want your life to have a little bit of spice in it, but you always come out on top and you know, things are always roll your way and it's kind of funny here and there. It's a you know, good action adventure movie. Or, or maybe you want your life to reflect more of like a rom-com, right? Like it's real, it's funny and it's light. And people talk in witty conversation back and forth. And at the end, everything's fine. They get married and yay, everything's perfect and wonderful. That, that's what you want your life to reflect. I don't know too many people who would say they want their life to reflect a horror movie. Like it's just, I don't know that many people. Like I just, I don't, I don't see it, right? Unfortunately, therein lies the problem. <laughs> because for a lot of us, if we had to categorize our life into a film genre, for many of us, horror might be it. <laughs> like, we, we look at the things that we're going through in life, and we're like, yeah, that's probably the closest thing. When I look at my finances, it's a horror show. <laughs> like, whenever, whenever I look at the way my relationships are right now, things are not going good. It's just one dysfunction after another, one letdown after another. And if we're being honest, we see our life and we see a horror movie. Now here's the thing. We can survive the horror movie moments that life throws our way. We can, we can survive them, we can come out on top. Um, and whenever we find ourselves in the midst of them, we can actually see that God's word, scripture, points out different truth for us on how to survive a horror movie. So whenever you find yourself in these horror movie moments, which we've been using horror movie cliches, you guys know what I'm talking about, where um, they always, hey, let's split up. Or, um, you know, uh, I, I, I shot the killer once in his leg. He'll probably be dead. Let me throw the gun away and not actually finish the job, right? Like all these cliches. Whenever we take these cliches and we break them down, we can actually see there's some pretty good biblical truths at the heart of them that we would learn a lot about our own life and our own situation if we would take a cue from these situations, right? So that's what we did last year, and that's what we're continuing to do this year, breaking down some of these horror movie cliches and seeing what scripture would say about it. Now, today's how-to advice that we're kicking off this series with, I'm gonna say this may be the most important advice that you'll hear all series. This may be the most important talk of the entire series. What we're gonna be doing, we're gonna be jumping around between 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. So if you have a Bible, you wanna follow along, that's where we're gonna to be today, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. Um, but before we hop too far into that, I want us to start off with just a simple prayer for humility today from all of us. 
just a simple prayer of humility and vulnerability because um, we're gonna be looking at ourselves in, in a, um, a very real way today, <laughs> okay? That's what I want us to do. I want us to look and evaluate ourselves in a very real way, because I fully and completely believe that if we want to experience transformation in our life, the Holy Spirit transforming us, it only happens when we're transparent. We, we only get transformation when we're transparent, so we need to be real with ourselves today. We need to not try to kid ourselves today. We need to be honest about where we're at and where our faith is at as we evaluate today and ask ourselves, if I find myself in a horror movie moment, is my faith strong enough to survive? Is my faith strong enough to survive? Let's pray real quick. Father God, we all want a faith that will survive. We all want a faith that will hold up. We all want a faith that will get us to the end of the movie and get us a well done, good and faithful servant from you. But God, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose. It happens with intentionality. It happens when we work and when we partner with you. That's what we ask for today, that you would partner with us, God, that you would move in us, that we would hear your word in a new and fresh way today, and that we would take what we learn and apply it to our lives so that we would see the transformation that we so badly need. We love you, Father, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, um, it's October 3rd, we're in spooky season, right? Spooky season has, has begun, um, and what that means, if spooky season has begun, that means that wedding season is just about over with, right? Like wedding season, it's May, June, July, August, some September, some October, you'll still see a few sprinkled here and there throughout the end of the year, but basically wedding season comes to an end as we start heading in to fall. Um, and in, anybody go to weddings this year? Anybody? Shoot up the hands online. You go to any weddings this year? Um, one thing that they do at almost every wedding reception I've been to, and I've been to a lot of them. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I've, I've been to a lot. I've performed a lot. At wedding receptions, one of the things they always do is, you know, the DJ will, all right, we're going to slow down real quick. And I ask all the couples to come out onto the dance floor for this next song. And so then all the couples come out. And then what do they do? The DJ is like, what we're going to do is I want to see how long we've had some married folks out here. Let's see who's had the longest marriage. And so they start counting down, right? Like, if you've been married one month or uh, shorter, go ahead and sit down. And they keep adding it. And okay, three months and one year and five years and ten years until eventually you get the last people standing, right? The people who've been married the longest. The longest I've ever seen was 71 years. It's incredible, right? Like, incredible. And they were dancing. I'm like, this is nuts. Like, they're, they're wow, <laughs> kudos to you guys, right? Um, 71 years, that's just, that's just amazing. Uh, what I want to do, since we're kind of transitioning from wedding season into spooky season, um, I, I want to take something from wedding season and incorporate it into what we're going to be talking about today. So um, this idea of, like, how long have, have people been married, I want to do that, but I want to do that in relationship to something uh, uh, with a car, okay? So, so here we go. And if you're watching online, you're watching from home, I want you to join in the fun as well. Um, what we're going to do real quick, everybody, is if you have a check engine or a maintenance light on in your car, and it's been on for at least one month, shoot that hand up. There it is. There it is. Online, I want to see how long. If your maintenance light has been on for three months or longer, keep that hand up. Oh, there they are. Six months or longer. One year. 
one year, that little light is starting to get dim because it's been so overused. A year and a half, two years, five years. <laughs> There's still hands up. You can't see it online. There are still multiple hands up. Five plus years. Can we give a round of applause to the people who've been kicking the can down the road and just ignoring that light? You just took a little piece of electrical tape and you just like taped over it. You act like it's not even there anymore. Like eventually the bulb will burn out and I'll never know, right? Then, then it will be fixed at that point. Um, <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. My car is one bad thing away from just me having to Fred, Slint, Fred Flintstone my butt all around town. Like it's just one bad thing away. Actually, I'm lucky because my father-in-law is like very handy with cars we were out of town this last week, and so he said, hey, if you want to, give me the keys. Um, we'll, we'll buy the parts that you need. I'll, I'll do some stuff to your car, and then you can just cash app us and get us back when you guys get back from vacation. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's perfect. So he did a lot of stuff. He changed out one of my belts in my car because it was kind of getting worn. Um, he, fixed, he got me a new alternator because my old one, it sounded like I was dragging a cat around town. Just, it just sounded... You heard me coming before you saw me coming, right? It was, it was bad. Um, but the biggest thing that was like a huge help, I kid you not, he replaced my wiper blades. They have not worked for over a calendar year. That's not me being hyperbolic. That's for real. Not like, oh, they, they don't work well. No, they didn't turn on. Like the, you, you flip the wiper blades and they just went, mm, 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 like that. So basically, I was able to know if I could do anything for the day. I was watching weather reports in the morning, like I'm a fisherman or something. Like, eh, what's it going to be like? What are the seas going to be like today, right? <laughs> like, am I going to be able to get around or not? So he fixed all this stuff for me, which was great because I was realizing, like, I'm going to have to get this stuff done because winter is coming, <laughs> right? Like, winter's coming up pretty soon, and winter is very unforgiving to cars, if you have an issue, winter will expose it. <laughs> it will just, it'll show it. You got a weak battery, winter will expose it. Your heater doesn't work, winter will expose it. You have uh, uh, mechanics in your car, like the, the, the window motors are going bad, winter will expose it. Winter will show all your problems. And I knew winter's coming, so I'm like, well, man, I need, to, I need to get this thing fixed before the issue comes because the issue, winter, is coming very, very soon. I can't keep ignoring these check engine lights. I can't keep ignoring these things that aren't working well. And as I think about that, and I think about the fact that we see this happen all the time in horror movies, right? All these, all these characters, their cars never work, right? Pretty much every, I, I just talked with Owen, uh, uh, one of the guys on staff here at the church, just talking with him in, in between services. He's like, I've, I've watched three horror movies so far this, this Halloween season. Every single one, the car has not worked. In every single one, right? That's, it's so cliche. It happens all the time. These cars don't work. When a Stranger Calls, The Evil Dead, Jeepers Creepers, all of these movies, just off the top of my head, all these movies, the main characters have issues with the car. Now, chances are they're probably people like us, right? People who they've had a check engine light on for who knows how long, Three months, six months, a year, two years, right? And they just kept kicking the can down the road saying, yeah, well, one of these days I'll fix it. One of these days I'll get to it. And then suddenly they have a killer at their front door breathing down their neck and the car won't start. The car won't start. They go to turn it over and it, it won't turn over, right? The car won't start. And as I think about that, 
it makes me think, how often do we treat our faith like characters in these horror movies treat their car? Or maybe not even characters in horror movies, maybe just how we treat our car, right? (laughs) How often is that us with our faith? We just kick the can down the road, I'll get to it one day, I'll get to it one day, Ah, it's not important right now, it's not important right now. And then suddenly, there's a killer at our front door breathing down our neck and we want a faith that works but we've been neglecting it for months and months and years and years and then are shocked when it won't start. Is that any of us? Is that anybody online? I know that has been me more than I would care to admit. Today's sermon title, if you're taking notes, is Get Yourself a Tune-Up. Get Yourself a Tune-Up. See, a lot of these people in these movies, they would have saved themselves a lot of trouble a lot of hassle. In fact, some of them would still be alive. Their heads would still be attached to their bodies, right? If they had gotten a tune-up, if they had just fixed their car when the maintenance light came on, if they had just addressed the tire when it started to leak some air, if they would have done these things ahead of time, they would have been in a much better place than they were when the crisis hit. But they didn't. They didn't prioritize their faith. Is that us? Are we finding ourselves in a shaky marriage, in broken relationships, in financial debt, and we're wondering, man, why does my faith feel so shaky right now? Why does it feel like God is so distant and God's not listening to me? Is it because we haven't prioritized our faith for the entire buildup? And then suddenly when crisis hits, when the killer's at the front door, we're wondering why it's not working. We need a (laughs) tune-up. We need a tune-up. The scripture that we're looking at today shows us exactly what this looks like to be building our faith, to be prioritizing our faith so that when crisis does come, we're ready for it. The scripture we're looking at today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, and what it's telling is the, the historical account of David being anointed as the new king of Israel. The previous king, King Saul, he had started to do evil in God's sight. Uh, completely failing his oath of office, uh, so to speak. And so God has rejected him. Scripture tells us that he tells uh, his right-hand man, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, God tells him, hey, I've rejected Saul as king. I have a new person in mind to lead the nation of Israel forward, and I want you to go anoint this guy. I want you as my right-hand man, as my representative on earth, I want you to go and anoint this new king. And that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel goes on his way to a town called Bethlehem. Sure, you've heard of it before. And he's told that whenever he gets there, God will direct him to the young man that he is to anoint. So verse 4 of chapter 16 says this, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked Samuel, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God had told Samuel, hey, the guy that I'm going to appoint as the new king is going to be one of the sons of this man named Jesse. So they all go to the sacrifice together. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so then Jesse starts looking at all the other sons of Jesse as they come forward. And Samuel's looking at him. He's going, well, man, if it's not him, then what about him? God says, no, it's not him. Okay, well, what about him? No, it's, it's not him either. Does this to all of Jesse's sons who are present until eventually they get to the last one and Samuel's looking saying, is this it? He asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? No, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, go send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. You see, I love that in this moment when all the other sons are present, all of the other guys are standing right here, David is right where we know to expect him to be. You know where David is? He's out doing his work. He is just consistently doing what he is supposed to do. David didn't know this was going to be a big day. <laughs> he had no idea that God was sending his right-hand man, the prophet Samuel, to his house to appoint a new king. David had no clue. All David knew was, I'm just being faithful to what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm being consistent. I'm being consistent. And in these next moments, we see that David actually ends up becoming the person that is anointed and appointed to be the next king of Israel. We see that throughout his life, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. He's the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel, and he is a forerunner to Jesus Christ, his ancestral forerunner. All of these amazing things to King David, to this young little shepherd boy who's just watching his father's flock in some little small podunk town on some back pasture somewhere. He's remaining faithful in this small moment, having no idea the big things that were in store and the crises that would be in store and the opportunities that would be in store. He had no idea about any of that. All he was doing was remaining faithful to what was right in front of him, which brings me to the first point for today. When we have consistency during the calm moments of our life, it will lead us to have confidence during the crisis moments of our life. When we are consistent in the calm, whenever it's just a normal, mediocre day, and we're just dealing with the minutia of what life normally throws our way, just, eh, it was just a day, eh, just a day, just woke up, went to work, came home, showered, just kind of ate dinner, hung around the house. Those kind of days, those kind of calm days, the consistency that we have during those days, the consistency that we build, the habits and the disciplines that we form during those boring mediocre, minutia days, those are the things that will give us confidence when crisis eventually comes to our doorstep, when the killer comes our way. It's what are we doing, what are we cultivating on a consistent basis during our life? David was consistent. He was consistent during the calm days. You knew where to find him. When Samuel says, hey, do you have any other sons? Jesse instantly responds, I know where my youngest son is. He's out doing what he's always doing. He's out taking care of his work. He's out there being faithful. He's out there being consistent, doing exactly what I have asked him to do. David was consistent. And that consistency, David didn't know it yet, but man, it was going to pay off huge for him later in life. That consistency was going to pay off for him when crisis would come, when killers would come. I, I see some Browns fans out here today. Um, 
I, I feel good about the Browns today. I think it's going to be a hard game, but I, I think they'll come out with the win. Um, they're, they're going to Minnesota. They're playing the Vikings today. Now, the Vikings, they're kind of a mediocre team, but they have a hard place to play because they play in a dome. And whenever you play in a dome, all of the noise from the crowd is amplified. It's, it's like a tin can. That noise ain't going anywhere. It's, it's reverberating off the ceiling, and it's staying there. So the Browns coach, Kevin Stefanski, what he's been doing all week is preparing the team to handle the loud atmosphere. What they've been doing in practices and in walkthroughs all week is they have been pumping in louder than normal crowd noise, artificial crowd noise, during their practices and during their walkthroughs. They're just walking around in their shorts and T-shirts, just kind of going over the plays and going over the calls, but they have the noise so loud they can barely hear each other talk this far apart. Now, why are they doing that? Because they're trying to build habits, and they're trying to build disciplines and ways of communicating on Tuesday and Wednesday, so that when the crisis comes on Sunday at one o'clock, they'll be ready for it. They won't be taken off guard by how loud it is. They won't be thrown by, man, we can't even hear each other talk. What was the signal again? What did he say? They'll be able to say, no, no, no. We remember, we've been preparing for this all week. We've been prepping for this. We know how to handle this because we have been consistent on the calm days of practice, building up for the crisis that would come Sunday afternoon. We've been preparing for it. David had been preparing for this moment. He didn't even know. He had no idea what God had in store for him in his life. And guess what? That's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. That's why you're supposed to be consistent in your faith walk. Because guess what? You have no idea what's coming your way. You have no idea when Samuel with his horn of oil is coming to your house to appoint a new king. You have no idea what kind of opportunities or what kind of crisis is coming your way. You don't know if that's just the mailman or a killer at the door. You have no idea what life is bringing your way, so that's why you have gotta be consistent in your faith walk. Because if you're not, and you're inconsistent, and you're building crappy practices day after day, week after week, and the killer shows up at your door, you won't be ready. Your car won't start. You'll be dead. That's not what any of us want. We want a faith that works. We want a faith that's functional, a faith that will be able to get us out of those moments, a faith that will allow us to survive, and it only happens when we consistently build into it on the calm days not wait for the crisis to hit and then wonder, why won't, why won't my faith work? People get a terrible diagnosis. Oh, I don't know about God anymore. I just don't know about it anymore. Well, of course not. Because you didn't know about God the months and the years before the diagnosis came. And now you're wondering why your faith isn't strong enough. You're wondering, oh man, the financial debt, I wasn't expecting it to be like this. This is so hard. Of course it's hard. You haven't been trusting God with your finances ever. Now you want to trust him with it when the crisis hits? That's not how it works. You have got to consistently build the practice of a strong faith before the crisis comes. Consistency during the calm leads to confidence during the crisis. That's what we see from David. So how can we consistently build during the calm? Spiritual disciplines. It's a very traditional sounding thing. It's a very churchy sounding thing, but it works. I'm telling you right now, you start regularly praying when you don't need to, when you don't need something. Get on your face in front of God and say, God, I just want you to speak to me. I'm not here because I'm in crisis. I'm not here because I need something from you. I'm here because I want to get closer to you. 
I want to be more fully formed by you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on my knees listening to you today. Speak to me. That's why fasting is something you should do. That's why regular prayer, regular journaling, listening to worship music, all of these things, giving, serving the church, doing all of these things to consistently prepare yourself during the calm, knowing crisis will hit. It's just like my car. I needed to get that stuff done because I knew winter was coming. <laughs> like, this, is, this isn't like, a, well, maybe Northeast Ohio won't have winter this year. <laughs> it's coming, right? Like, it is coming. Snow is coming. Cold weather is coming. Those things need fixed because it's on its way. And in the same way, you have crisis coming your way at some point. Maybe it's not tomorrow or next week or even next month or even next year, but it's coming Make sure you have a faith that can stand up against it. Make sure you have a faith that can stand up against it. And it only happens whenever you are being consistent during the calm days. David was consistent. He was consistent. He had consistent discipline in his life that allowed him to survive. My, my uh, parents, my mom and dad, they put together uh, a dinner that we had. My dad called it the bye-bye birdie dinner. <laughs> it, was, it was his his and my mom, they, they took us out to dinner. They had a plan all put together for when they die. Like, basically, like, hey, this is, we want, we want to walk through this with you guys. This is what our services would look like. This is where they would be at. This is who we'd want to do them. This is how we're paying for our burial fees. This is how we're paying for this. This is our life insurance. This is how all this works. They walked through all of that stuff with us so we would be prepared it was a beautiful, calm day. We went to Skyline Chili and pounded some three-ways. Like we, we was, it was a beautiful, just normal, calm day, right? But because of that prep in that moment, when crisis hit and my dad died unexpectedly, we were able to just like basically hit the first domino and all of these things just fell into place. So that means we were able to properly grieve my dad when he died and we didn't have to worry about, oh, how will we afford this and what about this cost and oh, we need to contact this person. It was all done. It was all done. And so we were able to just be in the moment and the only reason that happened, the only reason was because of preparation, because of planning ahead of time, because they got a tune-up before the check engine light came on. They were regularly maintaining things. And so when crisis came, we were able to just coast as well as we could through it. You need to have consistent discipline in your life. David had consistent discipline in his life, and it made all of the difference for him. So Samuel comes. He anoints David. David is uh, anointed as the next king of Israel. Here's the crazy thing. Though. This is a little sidebar. He was anointed, he was probably about somewhere between 10 and 15 years old, from what we know from uh, historical evidence. He was probably about 10 to 15 years old when this uh, moment happened with Samuel. He didn't actually take over as king, though, until he was probably around 37 years old. So that's about a 20-something year gap between his anointing and him actually becoming king, which is pretty crazy. Uh, another gap, we, see, we, we read the Bible and we just think like, oh, the, the next page just means this instantly happened, right? That's not actually how it plays out all the time. First um, Samuel chapter 16 tells about David becoming anointed. We just read it. The very next chapter, First Samuel 17, happens about two to five years later. So this happens a long time down the road, and the next chapter tells us about David and his fight against Goliath. This is something that so many people know about. If you don't even have a background 
in, in biblical study or anything, you probably have some kind of idea about David and Goliath. So um, what happens is David's anointed king, Saul continues to rule Israel for a while, uh, and then Israel gets into this uh, uh, conflict with another nation called the Philistines. The Philistines and Israel, they're going back and forth. They have battles. Each side wins. Each side loses. Uh, But eventually the Philistines have this gigantic warrior on their side, Goliath, who Scripture says he he was probably between eight and nine feet tall, which is just ridiculous, right? Just a huge uh, monster of a man. Uh, And basically, he made this wager. He's like, you know what? We can save the bloodshed on both sides, and instead what we'll do is I will fight for my side. You guys pick a warrior to fight for your side. Whoever wins, wins the war, like we call it then. So if I win, you guys will become our subjects. If you win, we become your subjects. But this dude's a monster of a man. No one wants to fight him. In fact, Scripture says that whenever they saw him and heard his words, heard the way that he yelled out against them and against their God, it says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were terrified. This dude's huge. No one's going to be able to beat him. Well, he continues doing this day after day, trying to get them to send out a warrior. Well, one of these days, David overhears Goliath's words. David's brothers, they all fought in the army. He went to go give them some provisions to check up on them on behalf of his dad. When he arrives at camp, he hears this guy shouting out against God, shouting out against the Israelite nation. And he's like, who, who is this guy? What is, what is he saying? And they explain who he is. They explain that, hey, he's, he's saying if one of us fight him, that, that, can, that can just settle it. Um, but no one wants to go out there because we know that we'll lose. We know that he'll just take us out. So when he hears this, David is like, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to fight him. <laughs> like, if no one else will go up against him, I'm going to fight. And this is what scripture says in 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to King Saul, let no one lose, account, lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. Listen to what David says. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God and the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Listen to that confidence that David had. That unwavering faith that David had. You see, his crisis moment had come. This isn't a metaphorical killer at the door. This is an actual killer, a man who had just weighed lace to all of his enemies, this monstrosity of a man standing in front of him. And yet in this moment, David is not afraid. He's not scared. There is zero fear on his point. David was ready. And you want to know why he was ready. This is, this is the first time I've ever done this. This is a, a point from my sermon last week that I copied and pasted into my sermon for this week because it applied so perfectly to it today. The reason David was able to have such confidence in his uh, view of Goliath 
was because how God was moving privately in David's heart began to manifest itself publicly. God was doing something in David's heart whenever he was just consistently showing up and, and, and watching over his dad's flock. As David consistently did that, God brought up these opportunities for David to trust in him. And David did. And David's saying, hey, look, I, I've gone up against bears. I've gone up against lions. I've trusted in God, and he's seen me through in those situations, so I know that he'll do it again. I know he'll do it again. Because he has been doing things on my behalf. You all haven't seen it. <laughs> it's been happening behind the scenes, but what God has been doing privately, I promise you, it's about to manifest itself publicly, and everyone, including Goliath, is going to see what he has been doing on my behalf. I want to ask you guys a, a quick question. Um, the, the company, Amazon, does anyone know, anyone know what Amazon is? Anyone ever heard? A few people, a few people heard. <laughs> yeah. um, Amazon, they started in 1994. Do you guys want to know when they turned their first profit? When, when their books finally had a positive number for their total balance. You want to know when that was? This, absolutely correct. Cassie Kane, <laughs> she sat in first service, so she knows. <laughs> 2003. Nine years. It's like Ferris Bueller, nine times. Nine years. Think about that. Nine years before they turned a profit. You know how much they changed their structure and how, how many people they fired and laid off and wow, we got to upheaval and do everything different. How, how often they did that during those nine years? Next to, next to nothing. They changed nothing about the way they operated. Because when they started, Jeff Bezos and the other people who started that company, they set into process principles, systems, and structures that they believed would benefit them financially, that would help them to grow a company. And even when things didn't seem to be going well, they're like, no, we, we know what we're doing is solid. We know it's going to work. You may not be seeing it publicly right now. You might not even see it publicly for years but we promise you the day is coming when you will see it publicly. What, what is happening privately, the things that we're setting into place, it will come back. And boy, has it come back. Amazon today is worth 1.7 trillion with a T dollars. Trillion. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's because they knew, you know what? Just because everyone's not seeing it doesn't mean God's not doing something. And if I keep consistently putting in the work, if I set up the disciplines that I know I need to have and I'm just consistent with it, a day will come where what God is doing privately will be manifest publicly and people will see it. That should both encourage and terrify you. Because that's not just the good stuff, right? There will come a day if you are neglecting your faith. There will come a day if you're neglecting your walk with God when that that you've been neglecting privately will show up publicly and it'll be well known and people will be able to see it clearly because you will get a bad diagnosis, you will have a relationship fall apart, you will have financial struggles and when those days come, people will see the way you react and go, man, ever since that happened, they just haven't been the same person. Ever since that person died, their joy is just gone. Man, ever since that diagnosis and they got cancer, they just been a shell of themselves. I, I wish they could have, I just wish for them that they could have gone quicker because they're just, they're not themselves anymore. Do you want that to be your story if crisis hits? 
Of course not. No one wants that to be their story. But what are you doing to avoid that being your story? What are we doing in the meantime, in the calm days, to avoid that ending to our movie? Because again, I promise you, there is coming a day where there will be a killer at your door. There will. There will be a horror movie moment that you are subjected to in the faith that you were building during the calm days, during the lead up to it. That's the faith that will either get you through or it'll be the faith that you neglected and it will be why you didn't survive. I want to be like David. <laughs> I want to be someone who is consistently putting principles into my life that will see me not just survive but thrive through whatever life throws my way. So the question is, when the killer shows up, what will the crisis reveal about you? What will it reveal about me? We're, we're just, we're, we're less than a month out from September 11th, the 20th anniversary of that. That was a day when multiple people, what kind of person they were, was revealed. We saw unbelievable heroism from just average people, just normal people. Todd Beamer, his story, a, a passenger on flight uh, United 93. Most of the people I can see the faces of recognition around the room. You know his story. If not, look him up online. His story's incredible. Just a normal man. He's a, a business accountant at Oracle Systems. Is on a flight, got hijacked, and he, along with a couple other guys on the plane, were the ones who bum-rushed the cockpit and forced the plane to go down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, instead of its intended target in Washington, D.C., I want to ask you a question. The courage that Todd had, the courage that those men had to rush the cockpit, think about that. The courage to rush the cockpit, to go after men with box cutters, to, to go over there knowing they're probably as good as dead anyways. They, they, they had an idea of what was going on on the ground. The courage to do that, I'll tell you this much, he did not get that courage in that moment. The courage to rush the cockpit was not cultivated in a, in a moment, just, I guess this is what I'm going to do. No, 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 no. That courage was not cultivated on Flight 93. That courage was cultivated at Princeton Alliance Church, where Todd and his family had attended for years, where Todd served. He taught Sunday school. He volunteered in the youth ministry. His faith grew there. Him and his wife, such active participants in the church. Not, they, 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 were, they gave their heart and soul to their church. He grew his faith there. And during those calm, normal Sundays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, when he was just living life, those normal, mediocre, minutia-filled days, he was cultivating and building a faith that would have the courage to rush a cockpit to save people's life. That doesn't happen in a moment. You cultivate a faith like that. You cultivate courage and confidence like that. I don't know about you, man, I want that. Don't, whenever you relive those moments from September 11th and you heard the stories about these people who as everyone else is rushing down the stairs of the tower, there's a few people who are running back up, civilians even, Saying, like, I'm, I'm not getting out of here until I see the people that work on my team get out of this building. I'm just not doing it. Those people 
had a courage and a confidence that was cultivated over time, not in a moment. And the same is true for you. Don't wait until crisis hits. Don't wait until you're in debt. Don't wait until your diagnosis. Don't wait until your spouse utters the D word that they want to divorce and then say, oh, okay, well, why isn't my faith working? God, where have you been? Where have you been? That is not how it works. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let something throw you because a killer shows up at your front door. You can have a faith that can survive it no matter what happens, but man, you gotta be consistent with it and you gotta cultivate it during the calm days if you want it to withstand the crisis that inevitably is coming your way. You wanna survive a horror movie moment, start building a faith that will do that now. That's exactly what we saw David do. He was building his confidence in the Lord. He was building his faith in the Lord because he saw God come through for him time and time again with the lion, with the bear, with all of the people who would try to take his dad's sheep and try to do something to the flock. He saw God come through time and time again. He knew, you know what, he'll do it again. He'll do it in this way. He's gonna come through for me again. David had a faith that held up, and the only way you get a faith that will hold up is if you build it up. You gotta build your faith up. One little win at a time. Just one little win at a time, build it up. As, as the worship team comes up, I want to tell you guys, um, my daughter Eden, she loves playing video games, loves video games. And she has this one for Nintendo Switch called Louis, uh, Luigi's Mansion 3. I love that game. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> when we first got it, it's kind of confusing. Like, it's got a lot of different controls, a lot of different options. And whenever we first got it, what Eden wanted to do was just watch me play. Like, she wanted me to play it. And so I played, and I, I got pretty far. I got to, like, the seventh floor of the the mansion or whatever. So I got to the seventh level of it. And then about that time, that's whenever she was like, can I try? Can I try? Um, and of course I let her. Like I wasn't like, no, that's my game now, <laughs> right? Of course I let her, but I didn't let her just jump in on the seventh level. She didn't understand it at first. She was kind of upset. She's like, well, I just want to play this level because it looks fun. I was like, no, 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 no. So I backed out of it. I went to the start and we started a new game for her. And I was explaining to her, I'm like, honey, I, I don't want you to start playing on floor seven because this game, it gets progressively harder. There, there's bigger bosses each level you get to. The levels are harder. They're more challenging. You got to know how to do more things as it goes on. And honey, I know your personality. If I would hand you the controller right now and let you start playing, you'd get frustrated. You'd feel like it's too hard. You wouldn't be able to beat this level because you wouldn't understand how it works. You probably wouldn't even really want to play the game anymore. So no, I'm, I'm going to start it over. We'll go back to level one. And you can start building the skill, start consistently playing so you understand how it works. And that's what we did. Man, whenever we got to level seven, she breezed through it quicker than I did. Like she's, <laughs> she's better at the game than I am now. And that's because she got some easy wins under her belt on the calm levels on the levels where the, the bad guy only takes one hit to die, right? Like the, the bad guy, you just do one thing and he poof, explodes. Because she was able to build her skill, build her confidence during those moments, she was able to handle the bigger levels, the bigger bosses with ease. The same is true for your faith. Don't try jumping in on floor seven. Don't wait until you get to the floor seven boss and then say, man, why, why isn't my faith working? God, where are you? Why aren't, why aren't you coming through for me? 
God's saying, man, I'm trying to show you stuff, and if you would have just started following me here, you would have seen me come through for you in small ways, and you would have trusted me for a little bit bigger, and I would have come through for you there, and then a little bit bigger, and I would have come through for you there, and then a little bit bigger, and I would have come through for you there, and before you know it, you'll be going through crazy things in your life, and you won't be as worried as you would have been because you'll know, you know what, God came through for me before, and he'll do it again. You'll know that I come through for you because you've consistently built up your faith in me. Pastor Brenda always says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, the second best time is today. Same is true with your faith. The best time to have been investing in it and building it up was 20 years ago. But you're in luck because the second best time is right now, right now. Start trusting God in the small things, just trusting him that he will come through for you watch him come through for you, and then believe that he'll do it again. Father God, we declare our need for you today. We know that life throws a lot of curveballs our way, curveballs we can't handle on our own. Killers show up at our door that leave us paralyzed with fear. But God, it doesn't have to be that way because you are a God who overcomes And if we put our trust in you, if we start believing in you, if we start truly activating our faith, we will see that you overcome, that you come through for us, and that you do it time and time again. And so then the next time life throws something our way, we can have a different level of trust in you, a different level of confidence in you, and that we can mirror King David, who was able to look at Goliath without fear because he knew, you know what, my God has helped me overcome the lion and the bear and he's gonna do it again. God, help us to get a (laughs) tune-up. Help us to get a tune-up of our faith that we wouldn't ignore it anymore, that we wouldn't put it off, but that we would start trusting in you in real tangible ways today, truly trusting in you, trusting in you with our time, with our talent, with our treasure in ways that actually matter because then when we see you come through, it will change things for us. It will change the way we see you, it will change the way that we see obstacles in our life. Build up our faith, God, and start it today. We love you, Father, and we pray this in your name, amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.